You know today's story like the back of your hand? 123 film adaptations, stage plays, radio dramas, comic books, and a long-running Broadway musical. At one point, Elmer Fudd drinks a potion and takes off after Bugs Bunny in the 1941 short Hair Remover. I've even watched the Naked Gun airplane-style spoof from the early 80s called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, wherein the good doc gets his nose into an exotic batch of cocaine and transforms into the busiest pimp on the West Coast. A gift that keeps on giving from Robert Louis Stevenson. Let's find out why we can't get enough of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde today on Book of the Day. Book of the Day back at you here on CPL Radio. So glad to be here. Uh, I'm not sure which one you're getting on which side. Uh, I'm Jekyll. He's Hyde, I'll bet you. <laughs> Hello, Steve Donahue. Hello, everybody. Our book critic. A Tyler. lot of you thought that description, the busiest pimp on the West Coast, applied to my humble producer. <laughs> but no, those were his salad days. <laughs> now he's calmed down quite a bit. <laughs> Hyde's got nothing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> but as you put out, and as you all know, it is given to a small handful of writers in the whole of human history to write a story that enters immediately into what we can only call our collective mythology. That almost never happens. Writers go their whole lives writing endlessly, and it never happens. And then every once in a while, our writer will write something, either he'll know it ahead of time, or she will know it ahead of time, or they won't. And the, the proof that it has nothing to do with their efforts is that fact, that they cannot predict it. In this particular case, Robert Louis Stevenson knew. He knew very well. He was in the, the grip of an unbelievably glowing inspiration. Varying accounts of uh, how he reacted when he wrote the first half of this book. The book was written in days, just a few days. Yes, nice. <laughs> This was not yeah. the work of meticulous sculpting and resculpting. The various accounts have him running down the stairs, waving manuscripts, so excited, and, and either transfixing the whole room with a read-along and then going back up to finish the story or being told that it didn't quite work and harumphing up the stairs in, an, in a snit and then rewriting the whole thing. The key element being the running down the stairs, which I'm sure happened. I'm sure that he was struck with, this is gold and just could not contain himself, which was no small thing because when he wrote this book, as was true for most of his life, Robert Louis Stevenson was sick. He was in bed. He'd had, yes. he'd had a hemorrhage. Yeah. He had he had tuberculosis and he'd burst a blood vessel. That's no small thing. That could yeah. easily kill you. That is what killed him. Uh, so he he had retired from the hurly-burly of, of city life uh, to the seaside resort of Bournemouth. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Bournemouth, but you only have to sit in a lounge chair looking at the ocean, listening to the endless stupid prattling of your fellow visitors, or maybe listen to the the local Bournemouth band strike up in the gazebo to start thinking about the dark side of human nature. <laughs> <laughs> An absolutely natural origin story. <laughs> and you know, ordinarily at this point in Book of the Day, we would describe the book, but it's like you say, everybody knows this story. Ubiquitous. This is the story of, of prosperous, upstanding, upright citizen Henry Jekyll, who in the, the narrator of the story eventually realizes that Henry Jekyll has some sort of dangerous, unhealthy relationship with a, uh, a, a shorter, gnarlier, uglier, 
far more uncouth stranger named Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. And we gradually learn what that relationship is, <laughs> which is astonishing. It's pure Robert Louis Stevenson genius. The, the relationship is that through the workings of a mysterious serum, they are the same person. Yeah. Physically and especially morally transformed into two different people. Certainly, the, certainly. The strong implication being throughout that Hyde is an expression of parts of Jekyll that he can't, that he represses on his own. Right, right, certainly. Which, and in the course of the story, the, the serum becomes less and less necessary. Hyde right. wants out. Right. Hyde wants out. <laughs> yes. You can see right from that story how much has happened as a result of this. The, the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And a million other examples are examples of whatever Jerry, Jerry Lewis, the nutty professor, uh, you know, buddy love, you know, and uh, also book, yeah. of the day. <laughs> book of the day. <laughs> yes. Recaptured on camera. <laughs> uh, all witness to all of this. <laughs> this thing was written in 1896 and took off. It's one of the most popular stories ever written by a human being. And we should uh, mention at this time that uh, we're talking about this particular edition. Yeah, right there's a new annotated edition, edited, annotated by the great Leslie Klinger, who does a great introduction and huge amounts of notes throughout. I don't know how many of our viewers are familiar with big annotated, illustrated, annotated editions. You must have a few of them. We well, have I a few, but uh, after reading this one now, I just am I'm hungry for more because it was so much fun to leave through this thing. You there's know, a lot. There, there are a lot of fun. Uh, there, what you get in a big annotated edition like this is, uh, if you, for instance, wanted to buy one, you'd be paying extra. But you get lots and lots of period illustrations, mm. tons of them, and virtually everything that's mysterious or questionable at all in the text gets a long block of explanation. Oh, absolutely, I mean, down to like uh, the color of a rock on the <laughs> right. Yeah, famously, that's what they do. So it's not just that they're describing. You know, in in Stevenson's day, if he had someone pull up in a specific kind of horse-drawn carriage, he would just name it. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't think that he needed to explain that to you, and he didn't envision a day when they wouldn't be there, right? Uh, and when they would be a distant, distant, distant memory. Great, great, great grandparents. The only writer in Stevenson's day who actually thought all this stuff around me might not last forever was H.G. Wells, <laughs> and Lewis, <laughs> Stevenson didn't. And annotated editions swoop in, ready. They are the the that tedious. Did you know, fan at the at the bar? Only when you want them, when you really want them, when you don't want them, when they're, when they're there droning on at you know at happy hour. But right. you do want them in an annotated edition. Uh, modern only... audiences, this is sort of the liter uh, literary version of uh, maybe modern audiences would be familiar with VH1's pop-up video that <laughs> got very popular in the nineties. They show a video and right. pop all of these factoids you know, at you. Annotated editions under they they started a huge vogue in the mid twentieth century, and there's an argument to be made. Uh, that they aren't necessary anymore for two reasons. One I don't agree with and one I do. The, the reason I don't agree with why they're no longer necessary is people who people say, well, I have my phone, I have Wikipedia, right. so I can right. just I can look up anything that I don't understand. But the, the key about an annotated edition is that you like having the person there with you. Right. And also a really good annotated edition and Leslie Klinger doesn't make any other kind. Sure, sure. We'll be catching you and informing you about things that you didn't know you didn't know oh, yeah, you wouldn't have yeah. known you wouldn't know to look it up on wikipedia so when they, you, when you you say, this, can be tremendous yeah. fun when you hold this in your hands and you can here at the cedarburg public library um <laughs> you <laughs> sorry um <laughs> you, you uh 
it, it immediately just pops. I mean, the, the size, it's just, it's very, um, it's so beguiling immediately. And if you had told me at the beginning of, you know, or at the beginning of 2022, that I would be excited about reading Stevenson's Jekyll and Hyde, I would have said, no, absolutely not. That's just not going to happen. I had more fun with this than <laughs> any other book this year. <laughs> well, that, that connects with the other reason why you people might say that you don't need annotated editions. The one that I agree with, which is that you don't need an annotated edition. <laughs> you, you, it is just as wonderful now as it was when it was written. Yeah. Same thing with all the other immortal works that Stevenson wrote. Some people just have the knack. You, you can read Kidnapped or Treasure Island without needing any kind of annotation. You don't need the annotation, unlike, for instance, the histories of Herodotus or Thucydides, where an annotated edition would be really, really helpful. <laughs> but with the key that I always want to say to people, especially people in your position who maybe looked at Jekyll and Hyde but never thought about reading it, the key I want to say is, an annotated edition of a, of a book like that might reinforce your decision never to read it because you'd be thinking it must be abstruse and really dull and outdated and boring if it needs annotations. Yeah, so the sure. point is it doesn't. Klinger loves the book. If you love the book, you're going to love an annotated edition even more because it's all this extra stuff that you already know you don't need. Yeah. Jekyll and Hyde will work. You could find um, you know, a completely unannotated edition and it would work just fine. It, it's gripping all throughout yeah. just gripping and it works on the stage Certainly believe it or not famously there was there was a famous actor a hundred years ago who effected his transformation from jekyll to hyde or as as a lot of people who haven't read the book realize also from hyde to jekyll right from, it's from hyde to jekyll that is the, the astonishing part of the book. <laughs> well, that's no fun <laughs> <laughs> i know people don't think about that but uh one actor a famous actor of his day Affected that transformation on stage in real time without lights or makeup change. Or CG. <laughs> or CG. He did it himself. Audience members used to convulse. Women would flee the theater. Wow. Because they had no idea what was going on That's on the great. stage. He That's was great. that good. That's and he did that six six nights a week. Oh. And and matinees on Sunday. <laughs> Side young, I'm assuming. <laughs> and then you get movies every... come in and the movies could do, even the earliest movies could do a kind of very gradual... Yeah frame change so that right. you get you get a change in the in the picture and then you get full cgi where you right. can transform someone and as the cgi has grown elaborate so has mr hyde yes mr hyde has gotten where it's made clear in the book that hyde is a small shriveled figure and yet it, it would exactly that picture but in cgi land hyde gets bigger and bigger yeah. <laughs> Until the point where, in for instance, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's gigantic and superpowered. He is the Hulk. <laughs> right. Also, uh, Hugh Jackman starred in a movie called Van Helsing. Yes. It was. Uh, where he fights against Dracula eventually. But the movie starts off, the set piece that starts off the movie is him fighting Mr. Hyde, no. voiced by uh, Robbie Coltrane. Oh, okay. And right. that Mr. Hyde is gigantic. He's 15 <laughs> feet tall and superpowered. He can throw gigantic 100-pound weights around. Right, right. <laughs> when he transforms, he transforms into a meek and mild little milk toast. But that isn't Henry right. Jekyll. Right. It, it just The mythology took off on its own. I think Elmer Fudd turned green. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, the point about this big annotated edition is that you're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. It might look like the kind of... Uh, 
I don't even know, compulsive footnoting for Poindexter fans only, but it's not. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. You will learn a lot and you will have a ton of fun. It's like a book club, you know, a, bu a book club in a box. You're getting the entire, you're getting conversation yeah. pieces through. And that's, yeah, that's, right. that's a blast. I mean, and I'm, you're also yeah. getting, in terms of book clubs, you're getting enormous amounts of elaboration on small details of the period or the history of the, of the text Certainly. without them coming from that that boring douche canoe it's two seats <laughs> over who, who's guaranteed to come to every book club meeting even if it's 12 feet of snow he'll be the one who shows up so that he can start every sentence with well actually i know exactly who you're talking about i don't think i like the sound of that at all i think uh steve just drank the potion <laughs> Somebody just earned himself a long conversation once the camera stops rolling. Well, it'll be the annotated book of the day. <laughs> the dirty underside of book of the day that none of you are supposed to see. Oh, sure, it looks all happy and smiling on the surface. But right. As soon as the camera stops rolling, it's Steve yelling, no wire hangers. <laughs> all my welts from last week healed, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh my a bottle of iodine right next to the <laughs> next to the microphone it's not easy having a world famous critic on the show <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i'm here to assure you the man speaks the truth um <laughs> so anyway well uh back to <laughs> before we roast each other here um this is wonderful i had so much fun i um i even was hesitant in buying because we have we already had like one or two copies in a lot in in our library, and they were pretty well. One or two well other copies, yeah, different copies of Jekyll yes, and certainly. Uh, well, I'm yeah. curious, what would they be? Just little mass market paperbacks? Or, yeah, or there was. Yeah, there may have been like a Everyman's Library type of thing or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. and it's fine. They're lovely. And they actually had the Everyman's has its own you know introduction and uh, oh yeah, the, you know, a lot of the newer reprints will have introductions. Sure. They'll have a small amount of notes, but nothing like Leslie Klinger does. This... Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> another league this, this was the dvd extras version of uh this is a director's cut yeah. so to speak i mean and this, really. this is true for any of his annotated editions any of these big oversized annotated editions whether edited by him or anybody else there's ton there's one for every jane austen novel there's nice. one for little women there are a couple for dracula that are wonderful nice i was actually gonna ask you do you have any other annotated editions that of recent, uh, the, you know, uh, publication that uh, you'd recommend because I really, I enjoy this one so much. I'm like, I need more. Well, <laughs> the problem with annotated editions is they're expensive to make. Mm -hmm. So the publisher, right. the original publisher will usually bring out a run of the hardcover, maybe bring out a run of the paperback and then that's it. Yeah. So for instance, there's a beautiful, I mean, gorgeous. I think they were from Harvard University Press or maybe Princeton. There's a gorgeous set of annotated Jane Austen novels. Mm. One after another after another, as a high-profile, in-demand, uh, men want to be him, women want to be with him book critic, I got them all from the publisher. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. good luck getting that set now for under uh, 100 years. That it, and they are wonderful, even though you know Jane Austen is a li moves the needle a little bit more. Uh, annotations are a little bit more actually useful with sure. her. Little Women, you don't need annotations for. Dracula, you especially don't need annotations for. Right. Not a chance. But I could see, unless I missed one, I could easily see an annotated edition of Treasure Island. Yeah, certainly. When Treasure Island has gone into the popular mythology every bit as much. 
as Jekyll and Hyde so, yeah. for its portrayal of pirates. Yep. yep. When you think of pirates, you're thinking of Robert Louis Stevenson, whether you know it or not. Uh, but Jekyll and Hyde even more so. Jekyll and Hyde has entered into the common parlance. Yeah. People who don't even know that it was a book use those terms. Oh, sure. I, I've heard uh, patrons come in and say, oh, I'm kind of having a Jekyll and Hyde kind of day, you know? <laughs> but it's like, do you That's know what you you're know. actually saying? <laughs> That's when you know that yeah. you've made something like that. And like I said, authors who make something like that don't always know what they're doing. Edgar Rice Burroughs had no idea that he was doing that with yeah. Tarzan of the Apes. No idea at all. And it can't be planned. I can't imagine. Yeah, you know, can't I, be I, planned. You know. And if you make something that's open-ended, you can often come to regret it. <laughs> if if H.G. Wells had not killed the Invisible Man at the end of his novel, he'd been writing Invisible Man novels for the rest of his life. Arthur Conan Doyle, famously, yeah. got sick of writing Sherlock Holmes stories. And what the public didn't even allow him to quit writing. He killed Holmes off and had to bring him back. Apocryphy, I'm not sure that it actually happened pelted with fruit in the street oh. <laughs> oh. People saying, oh, we want homes back uh, and Edgar Rice Burroughs of course didn't want to be pelted with anything so he just kept writing Tarzan novels yeah. for the rest of his life <laughs> but uh, in a lot of these the key mythological stories that's not necessary because the author has the, the wisdom to kill off the main, the main characters. You don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> well, writers, you got you got it here right from the uh, right from the source. Uh, whatever whatever you're writing, make sure you uh, you kill them off at the end, just in case, or else you'll be pelted with fruit. <laughs> yes, I should I should stress here that uh, I am not advising that if you are saddled with an outsized, caustic, and extremely corrosive co-star, you should kill them off. <laughs> I'm, I'm not suggesting that at all. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Drink your afternoon tea slowly. Today. I know. <laughs> oh, no. A special Wisconsin blend we've uh, sent your way. So, there we are. Declan Hyde. Uh, it's and... a little close to the bone, this book. I wasn't, I wasn't realizing that. I wasn't realizing until we started talking about it that Book of the Day is a dramatization of Jekyll and Hyde. Your daily radio drama, Robert Louis Stevens. <laughs> now we turn things back to NBC in New York. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Always fun. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the annotated edition uh, available here at the Cedarburg Public Library. Come check it out a whole bunch because then if it's really popular, I might get permission to buy a lot more because I really like them. Do it for me. <laughs> Do it for me. I have fun. <laughs> Take care, everybody. We'll be back with Book of the Day. Brought to you daily by the friends of the Cedarburg Public Library. I'm just Dream waiting. Story. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the friends regularly take that serum. Which explains what they're like on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> if the books are a little extra beat up, you know that that's, <laughs> that's serum day. <laughs> when you buy them in our bookstore. Thanks, everybody. Back tomorrow with uh, more fun stuff. Book of the day. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.